up loud crowd we're here to review the new lattice episodes and new casa grande episodes and for the first time on the podcast we are joined and we now have a special co-host who is a new co-host on the podcast hello everyone i may be a new co-host but if you've been listening to the show you've definitely heard my voice before this is ryan rw mead here and i am so honored to be the new permanent co-host of the loud crowd podcast i'm i'm glad that people enjoy what hearing what i have to say both about the loud house and whatever else is on my mind because i definitely do have a tendency to ramble there's definitely more than one reason why i decide to call my fan account loud ramblings but it's definitely great to be so we were off last week so um we have a lot of episodes to get through so without us um without any distractions let's get uh get into it so um the first episode that came out in this um, pretty much week of Wild House was um, Kings of the Con. Very, uh, uh, just initial thoughts. So I really loved the episode overall. Um, I know uh, people were kind of like uh, split on it online. I felt a lot of um, uh, negative opinions about it. I thought it was a pretty great and entertaining episode. You know, because one of the things you worry about is how they're going to fit this into... Um, like, uh, the half hour that they have to do it, and I think they pretty, uh, did a pretty great job, especially with, um, the Ace and Jacksons of trying to get the cat back into, like, um, the trap that they put it in, and then, um, Lincoln sisters all fulfilling the role, and even helping them in the end. I thought it was a very, um, entertaining and fast-paced episode, so, Ryan, what were your thoughts about the episode? I enjoyed this episode as well. It wasn't the best of the half-hour specials, but it wasn't the worst either. There was a lot to like about it. Just the whole setup was very interesting, and given the reaction, which I'm going to touch on a little bit, it's kind of ironic that the entire plot was about the fact that, you know, uh, Ace Savvy and One-Eyed Jack or Lincoln and Clyde were very much, you know, very by the book. They wanted... Uh, the sisters to know everything there is to know about a savvy because uh, they thought you know this is the sort of thing but no the sisters didn't really need to know anything they just had fun on their own and i think that's kind of a lesson that the fandom should take like you shouldn't be so strict about everything and i i want to segue a little bit into that i i was amazed and baffled i am still baffled i'm not angry i'm not concerned i'm just baffled that this, out of all the episodes, would end up being the most divisive divisive episode of The Loud House to date. And for what I think are very foolish reasons, like, it's, from what I can ascertain, a lot of people don't really understand Lincoln and Clyde's character. Uh, Lincoln especially, the best way I can describe him, I mean, this show has been on for three years now, and some people still think that Lincoln is supposed to be the hero and that he's always supposed to win. No, Lincoln is a good kid. He has his head in the right place, but he, all of the characters on the show are equally incompetent, and and that's 
part of the fun thing. Lynn Sr. is definitely incompetent. Uh, Lincoln definitely takes after his father very much because they have a lot of things in common. The sisters are incompetent, and Lincoln definitely is incompetent. The whole thing is that, you know, they think they're doing the right thing, but eventually they realize that they need the help of their family to bail them out from the situation that they themselves caused. Lincoln is basically like Charlie Brown if Charlie Brown didn't know he was a failure. Lincoln thinks he's always going to succeed at whatever he does, but more often than not, reality comes crashing down on him, and he has to realize that perhaps, you know, he needs his sister's help. And I was surprised that some people thought the ending was was too cruel because I was surprised. One person even said they were going to quit the show because wow, of it. Wow, I didn't see that. Which I thought which I thought was kind of ridiculous. I mean, as far as the ending goes, I thought, and this is coming from someone who understood what No Such Luck was trying to do and understood the concept of that episode and what it was trying to do, even as someone who who will go to bat for that and say it wasn't a horrible episode, it was an okay episode. Um, I, I myself will say that this ending was not as harsh as No Such Luck's ending and was actually a very funny ending because it's a case where the punishment fits the crime. Lincoln and Clyde were the ones who kidnapped the kitty and, you know, tried to make a scene with it. So it only makes sense that they'd have to be the kitty's personal pooper scoopers, personal, uh, personal, I'm trying to think of the word, like, uh, someone who cleans up or works for a famous actor, but basically like that, they're basically going to be the stagehand, so to speak, for the kitty because of all the chaos they caused. It's a case where I think the punishment fits the crime, and I I just thought it was a very funny ending because just the way the final shot was just the kitty looking, perhaps with glee, knowing that, you know, he's going to tangle with Lincoln and Clyde again, and he likes that. And, And one of the funniest gags in the episode was the fact that, of course, Lana, of all people was the only one who liked the kitty being rough. You know, she wanted she wanted to play with the kitty even though he was being a nuisance because that's Lana. She, she only sees the good in the animals even if they're being chaotic and tearing things up. But then again, Lana has to sit, uh, Lana has to share a room with Lola. So I guess she knows a thing or two about things that can be chaotic and tear things up. Yeah. Alana was an underrated, um, great uh, person in this episode. And uh, another thing that, um, or actually going back to some of the reactions I saw uh, about the episode from the post I made when it came out, um, very polarizing, like you said. Um, uh, Jason Brow, a person who's been on this show frequently, um, uh, gave it a low uh, 2 out of 10. He considered it to be a hot mess, and he, uh, he feels like he's going to have to rant about it. And, um... Fan page of the Lighthouse was pretty high on it. Um, he said it reminds him a lot of um, the cons that he used to attend uh, growing up. And um, a lot of the favorite scenes uh, was um, everyone seeing the full deck and everyone um, seeing the full deck and uh, Ace and Jack fight the cats. But um, Ryan, um, what was your favorite um, scene from the episode? Oh, that's really difficult. It, it's been a while since I've seen it, since we were away for so long. But I, I think 
Yeah, I think my favorite scene in particular, or concept in particular, was the uh, Ace, uh, Lincoln, and uh, Claude trying to fight the kitty, like when Lincoln throws the the fuzzy dice at him and it does nothing, and Clyde's like, what made you think that would work or something? And um, the the full deck, uh, Lori and the rest of the sisters coming to rescue uh, in Ace Savvy's truck and that whole confrontation and such, and them finally, you know, catching the, uh, the kitty and Lana <laughs> wanting to play with it and everyone being like, really, that's what you want to do? I think that was my favorite part of the episode. Yeah, so like going back to what fan page of the lighthouse was saying is that um that con um environment that convention environment that was really great to see because you know a lot of the fans of the show especially the more the like um older ones have been to these kind of conventions and you know the writers have definitely been uh to a fair share of conventions themselves so seeing that whole like uh, environment portrayed really well without within like the whole entire episode was pretty amazing to see and you know at the point when this episode premiered it was just um it had been a long time since we had seen the entire family so it was really nice to see the family back um to get overall the ending of the episode um I'm not sure if you touched on it, I'm pretty sure you did, but um, we should talk a little bit more about that because um, a lot of people didn't really feel Lincoln and Clyde um, deserved that, but I think they 100% deserved that um, punishment. I mean, they literally um, kidnapped a cat and like um, almost ruined the entire convention like three times over that in the day. I mean, they did nothing at all to merit any um, role in the movie overall, and if the fact that they even got anything was pretty incredible at all. I mean... It's completely uh, undeserved, in my opinion. They were uh, they were acting like eleven year olds in the episode, and that's expected. Uh, Lincoln isn't a perfect character, like you were saying. So, I think the ending of the episode was pretty justified. So, what were your opinions about it? I agree. As I said before, this is definitely a case where the punishment fits the crime. Lincoln and Claude were the ones who kidnapped the kitty and let him loose, so it only makes sense that they'd be forced to clean up after them to atone for the mistakes they caused. It definitely makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, any final thoughts about this um, half-hour special? So you said you put it in uh, around the middle ranking of half-hour specials, correct? Yeah, definitely. I think I don't really do number rankings, but I think I would give it a 7 out of 10. It wasn't the best of the half-hour specials, but it wasn't the worst either. It was enjoyable enough. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that uh, that evaluation. I think it's uh, definitely one of the more creative ideas for half-hour specials. and um, It's kind of interesting seeing it that uh, one of the more recent half-hour specials, um, the beginning of uh, this season, I think it's called... Um, tripped or the episode where they get on the um the ship and um they get shipwrecked so i think these half hour specials are taking more creative route instead of just being um holiday episodes that's pretty interesting to see and the next episode we're talking about is called tales of the wall uh the, the episode was pretty great overall because you got to see the return of stella and the friend group dynamic between lincoln clyde zach rusty liam just uh it's great to see them all together i honestly think that um, if uh, Lighthouse wants to um, really shake things up, uh, maybe do less uh, Lincoln and Clyde episodes, and maybe do more episodes with like that whole friend group because there's just uh, just so much humor, um, humorous uh, possibilities with all like four or five of the characters they have there. Liam, Zach, and Rusty, just completely three different characters, different energies. I definitely would love to see more episodes with them, but um, 
I guess it's kind of like, the episode was kind of going back to, you know, those myths about your school, you used to believe when you're growing up, um, I mean, no one really believed it, but you, um, you kind of had to respect them somewhat, and, um, they kind of, uh, showed this episode as, you know, a bunch of fifth graders are scared about a mutated rat, which actually wasn't that far from the truth, so it was kind of cool, you know, seeing them just be fifth graders believing this myth, and, um, just being, like, investigators and, um, detectives and trying to figure out how to retrieve back the item. I definitely love that aspect episode. Stella taking a really great leadership role in the episode. Yeah, I really did. Uh, this was a pretty uh, good episode, and uh, it got pretty uh, pretty good rating overall. So, Ryan, what were your thoughts about the episode? Yeah, one interesting thing I want to point out is that this is only the um, second episode uh, out of the Loud House series so far to have a all-female uh, writer, storyboard, director team, Ooh. which I think is pretty cool. And it was very interesting. Uh, the storyboard artist, Sarah Johnson, uh, she commented a couple of things on Twitter. She's very big both on both on making supporting characters diverse and also on highlighting characters you know that usually don't get the spotlight. She said she was very proud to do an episode in which Stella was the main character. And an interesting example of her push for more diversity on the show is a very interesting example she pointed out a couple weeks before the episode aired. She pointed out in the scene where Stella is talking to the other classmates, uh, we see, you know, she she talks to a couple of classmates. One of them is girl Jordan. One of them is Molly, both of whom are, of course, modeled after people who work on the show. But the last one is very interesting because she said it was just originally supposed to be a uh, a average white boy with nothing you know with nothing that would make him stand out so she had the opportunity and she decided to make uh the last person stella talks to uh, a middle eastern boy in a, a wheelchair which i thought was very interesting because she's giving a spotlight you know to not only a person of a different ethnicity but also a person with a disability who we don't really see in um in television that much let alone animation so i think it's really interesting that when she has these opportunities to make the um to make these supporting characters stand out as you know like real people like people of different ethnicities and such she takes that opportunity and goes for it but as for this episode itself i stella is a very likable character and i know a lot of the the fans have been wanting to see her come back and this was very de definitely interesting to see her in a lead role because it was very interesting to see she's the only competent one in lincoln's friend group we yeah. were just talking about fact that Lincoln and Clyde are kind of foolhardy and do the wrong things and um this was definitely shown in this episode that the entire, uh, that all of Lincoln's friends, except for Stella, kind of do the same thing. And I thought it was really cool that Stella was, you know, really the only one out there, you know, who was willing to investigate this rat beast urban legend because she had a personal connection to it you know she's like oh oh this rat beast stole my music box that was an heirloom in my family like all the rest of the things that got stolen were just stupid things like <laughs> that painting rusty had at a native of at the state fair which was pretty funny but you know this is really important to me so i want to know where it went and and seeing seeing the rest of the kids act like idiots was funny too <laughs> um, yeah 
the funniest joke was like the callback to Rusty doing his own Leroy Jenkins thing. He's like, this looks like a job for Rusty Spokes. And then he starts running and yeah. then he gets hit the door. That was pretty funny. Yeah, that was a really funny scene. I didn't even notice that reference. And, um, yeah, I mean, you pretty much summarized the episode pretty well. And, um, the mutated rat idea was pretty awesome. And, uh, it was pretty staggering to know that, um, if, uh, the janitor, uh, Norm, who seems to be a pretty great character, would have actually kept the rat around for over a decade, which means that may be, like, the, like the longest living uh, rat on Earth, which is, uh, that's pretty interesting. Well, the radiation already gave it two tails, so maybe it had something to do with expending its lifespan, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty um, heartwarming. Not heartwarming, but a pretty creative episode overall. Great to see uh, some characters returning. And the next episode, a pretty uh, interesting idea of episode overall. Last Light on Earth. Uh, Ryan, why don't you give us a short summary for this one? Okay, uh, this was a really fun episode. I think out of all the three Loud House premieres, this was by far my favorite. So Lincoln and Clyde are having a all-night monster uh, zombie movie marathon, and uh, it's time for them to go to bed. And uh, Lincoln just says, okay, Dad, I'll go to bed. And Clyde's surprised. He's like... It was funny because uh, it, it's kind of poking fun at something that does happen on the show a lot. Clyde points out, like, I thought you were going to give, you know, a well-worded argument with with uh, with slides and a couple well-placed crying fits. But Lincoln points out he has a plan. They're actually going to watch the zombie movie marathon all night in Lisa's fallout shelter, which they do. And then the morning comes and... They are surprised to see that absolutely no one is there. And uh, the town is dark and everything's desolate. And they fear that there actually was a zombie apocalypse. And they try to search for signs of life. And eventually they do see some strange creatures shuffling around and groaning. And they think... Yes, these are definitely zombies. So they learn all the ridiculous. They do all the ridiculous things they learned from the zombie movies they were watching the night before to keep the zombies off their tail. Um, but then all of a sudden, they uh, overhear a radio announcement. Anyone who hasn't evacuated to the mall has to get there immediately. And. Uh, um, so they go to the mall and they find out that there was a storm the night before and the entire town had been evacuated uh, to hide out in the mall until it was safe. And they didn't know this because they were at the fallout shelter at the time. And it turns out that the strange figures who were, who were, who were hunting them down turned out to be Lynn Sr. and Clyde's dads who were chasing them down to make sure that they were safe and sound. This was a really funny episode, and I think along with a couple other episodes, including uh, T-Tail Heart and One Flew Over the Loud House, this is probably one of the best Halloween episodes so far because it really has that eerie Halloween feel to it. Like, all of the backgrounds and everything, all of the dark backgrounds, 
fans and such. One of the amazing things, uh, the art director on the show, Ashley Clement Baker, pointed out on Twitter, she said, well, one thing she said uh, in the past, uh, around the time A Grave Mistake premiered, is that when it comes to spooky episodes, uh, the art direction team gives it their all because they really like creating that spooky ambiance and the other thing that really threw me for a loop is that she said i forget what she actually said but for some reason they had to throw out all the backgrounds that they had done for the episode and start from scratch all over again so they basically ended up doing two episodes worth of backgrounds for this episode at, which is pretty amazing to me especially because the fact that i think Almost every background for this episode is new because they have all these different cinematic camera angles and also it's night colors to give it that spooky ambiance. So they definitely, um, they definitely uh, put their all into this episode and it really shows because it's a really fun episode, but really funny episode just uh i know there's been a lot of debate about whether or not clink and mcleod are likable characters and i think this episode proves beyond a doubt that when they're done right they're really funny because one of the things that made me laugh the most about this episode was how mundane some of their conversations were like you know clyde is always making sure you know he's the safe kid to steal versus the forces of evil he's a safe kid because his dads have raised him to be like that and one of the funniest lines this episode was him being like you know i have to use the bathroom so can we go to the bourbon burger i know it's for paying customers but i can't wait and lincoln points out the obvious he's like you know i think in this situation nobody's going to care whether or not you're a paying customer <laughs> and the other and the other funny line to me was uh, where they were imitating the action hero, uh, diverting the diverting the zombies by throwing a talking in the opposite direction of where they were standing. And Claude says something like, "Well, I hope nice juicy brains because I just ate my ace my math test." And as they're cleaning up from that situation uh lincoln says something like oh good job on that math test by the way i just think it's very funny that lincoln and clyde are so square that you know they think that they're going to die in a zombie apocalypse and yet they're just talking about stupid ordinary things like passing a math test and such so it kind of really shows how silly and mundane a characters they can be even when they're running for their lives they just act like kids so any thoughts you have on this episode yeah this is one of the best uh written episodes honestly um dialogue wise um not only the season but maybe an entire series especially considering that um you know they're trying to uh balance um you know trying to make it somewhat of a halloween spooky themed episode but this episode had amazing humor like you were saying i mean lincoln and clyde maneuvering their way past um these, uh, what they thought were zombies is pretty hilarious, and then uh, maneuvering uh, through Royal Woods is also pretty funny. And another thing that uh, people uh, caught on to that was pretty amazing is all the references to um, past episodes that were in this. So we have a reference to Mall of Duty and um, another episode before where Lincoln and Clyde are um, actually... Um, fighting zombies or using survival skills to get past in a situation. One floor of the lighthouse again, survival skills used. Lisa's bunker returns for what I believe is the third episode overall. And another funny moment is Lisa like um 
you know, it's like the first time we're truly seeing Lisa's like uh naive, like being naive towards um I guess making a password. Um, it's actually surprising that the fact that um Lisa believes that um her birthday is uh, is a pretty secure password for a uh, uh, military a uh, military grade bunker. So that's a pretty hilarious scene overall. And um like you were saying, the light moment of uh, Lincoln and Clyde within um trying not to literally die in a zombie apocalypse. Uh, just having these normal quirks was definitely hilarious because you know it's a very like um serious situation and them as 11 year old just uh take it with such a light heart is just um very well written episode overall i definitely agree that that was a funny moment like even even the mayor and clyde's dads knew that the password was lisa's birthday she is only four years old <laughs> but yeah. it reminds me of something she said in an earlier episode something like you know i can i i can split the atom but they still won't let me use a sharp knife it's yeah. it's kind of that you know she's so smart and yet she she lacks common sense despite the fact yeah just overall, um, storyboarding was amazing this episode. I just love that kind of sky where it's like, um, it's like early in the morning or maybe late, um, late in the afternoon, you know, the sun is like pretty much gone, but it's not completely dark outside. It's just, um, it's a very nice, uh, aesthetic that they put in the episode. Just a really great episode overall. And now, we are going to switch gears to the new Loud House, uh, Universe show, Nickelodeon original series. The Casa Grande's first episode of the series, Going Overboard, and um, Ryan, uh, this episode uh, featured um, a very interesting take on um, Ronnie Ann's uncle, um, Carlos. Um, it was revealed, and uh, this is kind of an interesting thing that they do with um, some of the adult characters in the Lighthouse universe. Um, these characters who you think are just normal adults go to their 9 to 5 job, but you find out that they had very wild pasts in their youth. We know Lynn Sr. was in a band, he traveled abroad, he, um, he's very into like our British lore. Rita just uh just does has done so many wild things. We find out that she's a pilot overall, and then this episode we find out that um Carlos used to be a pretty famous skateboarder back in the day. They used to call him Carlos X. Ronnie Ann finds him, finds out about this because he uses her skateboard to uh, like um go and do some of his old tricks. But unfortunately, he gets hurt. He hurts his ankle. Um. Uh, pretty much because it looks like they're doing this pretty early in the morning. And um, he's, uh, he's kind of in a big trouble because um, his wife, Rita, has an art uh, art show. And um, she's using him in the art show. He doesn't know his role yet. But um, he tries to hide his uh, what appears to be a sprained ankle from her. And um, jumping around on a calculator or, or whatever um, that uh, machine was. Um, it's pretty hard to hide it, you know, like a sprained ankle. He messes up the entire, or his wife's entire work, and um, he thinks he's in big trouble, but it turns out the person who owns the art place is like a pretty big fan of his, and uh, they get a chance of redemption, and this episode did a great job of giving some great um, backstory for Carlos, you know. You think of him just as the academic um, professor with no personality, but um, the fact that he realized during college that skateboarding was the most efficient way to get to classes was pretty hilarious overall. Ryan, what are your thoughts about the episode? This was a very interesting episode, and it's also very interesting because this is the episode that they use to promote 
the series as a whole. It was shown at the panel at the Paley Center in Los Angeles, uh, which was very interesting. And it was also uploaded uh, to YouTube uh, by Nickelodeon themselves as a preview of the show. And in its first week, it got over 3 million views, which is very impressive numbers. Wow. But I think it's very nice introduction to the show. I kind of touched on this before. I don't know if it was here or in Sonny's podcast or somewhere, but I think it's very interesting. Uh, we don't really need to introduce these characters because we've already seen them in the previous Loud House specials and also in the week, the two weeks of Casa Grande themed episodes. But it's kind of interesting that the episode starts out with a tiny little bit of explanation of who these characters are, but not too much. Like we kind of go through and they're like, oh, this is the grandmother and she's cleaning and this is the older brother, Bobby, and this is and this is sister likes to do makeup tutorials but then after that it's just straight to the story and this is a very fun story and a very funny story comedic wise because it has this nice balance of you know family moments and humor that reminds me very much of the very early episodes of the loud house because there are a lot of things uh that the loud house did in those early episodes that they don't really do anymore like like cutaway gags which were that there were some funny ones in this episode like uh where carlos says oh you know my wife is using me in one of her art projects again i hope it's not like the time she made me into we actually see that happening, which is pretty funny. But uh, the interesting thing is uh, Miguel Puga mentioned in an interview that he actually rewrote the entire second half of this episode himself, which I think is pretty impressive. I don't know what the uh, second half of the episode was originally going to be, but he pointed out the fact that he wanted to have a balance between uh, Frida's art project and and Carlos's uh, secret life as a skateboarder, so it was his idea to do something that Carlos would be physically unable to do, which is the calculator trampoline, and then eventually making up for hiding the fact that he injured himself by skateboarding um, by, you know, revealing, oh yes, I am secretly Carlos X, the famous skateboarder, and everyone being so amazed with that that they end up seeing the pieces of that uh calculator trampoline to create a piece of like graffiti or honoring Carlos X, which I thought was pretty cool. I think it's interesting how much all of the different members of the staff have a say on, oh, I think the episode would go better if it, if it was done this way. So I think it's really interesting. And it's also an interesting example of how you can take any two characters and put them together and make an interesting story about it. Uh, Carlos Alasbrocki said at the panel, it's kind of like playing with Pokemon cards. You can put all these combinations together and see what results. Like, what happens when you put Carlos and Ronnie Ann together? And this episode answers that. So I think it will be interesting to see as the series progresses how they put all these characters that we only slightly know. And uh, as you said regarding Lynn Sr. and Rita learn more things about them that we didn't that kind of create these interesting stories. Yeah. That's a really uh, great way of saying it. Um, you know, kind of relating it back to the first episode of Lighthouse overall, or the first few episodes of Lighthouse overall. You know, it kind of taking somewhat, uh, or taking place somewhat in the home of the family. 
that's another thing that's pretty great and uh, just seeing a bonding between like um uh, independent or um closer family members is pretty great you know it's kind of uh, interesting because you know a lot house didn't really do the combination of a uh, a sister linking or two sisters together until later into like season two and season three but i'm um, seeing uh, you know ronnie ann with um her uncle in an episode is a pretty um great idea and they seem to be like um interested and um definitely focused on tackling an idea like that and uh, like I said, it was pretty interesting to see this kind of history for Carlos. And um, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, not really. I think we both pretty much summed up all there is to say about it. But it, it was definitely a good episode to preview the series because it kind of gives a gist of what this whole familiar familial atmosphere yeah. is going to be and what it has in common and what differentiates it from the Loud House. Yeah, definitely agree. The next episode that came out was called Walk the Run. And this episode is, um, it kind of definitely uh, parallels what a Clink and McCloud episode is. And I can definitely see the parallels between, um, Sid and Ronnie Ann and uh, Lincoln and Clyde in this episode. Basically, um, Sid and Ronnie Ann, they find, uh, what looks like a gold mine, um, for, um, 11 year olds, uh, in their neighborhood. They're gonna walk dogs to make money to buy stuff that they want from a magazine, and um, like I said, this is something that Lincoln and Clyde would 100% do. So they decide, you know, just um, just take the dogs they're more familiar with in the neighborhood and walk them and get money. But then they soon realize that there are a lot of dogs within their neighborhood overall, and they start uh, going around and um, any dog that pretty much they find like with their owner, they just ask the owner if they can walk them, and they're very persuasive. Um. And getting this uh, done, and they're able to walk, what, like, 8 to 10 dogs at a time, make a ton of money, but, you know, the problem with having so many dogs is so hard to, like, control them and, uh, keep them in a manner, so, of course, the dogs just all run off, uh, they run, uh, away all over town, very hard to find them, even after using a dog whistle, and, um, it's just the problem of even having one problematic dog, even making um one mistake makes all like ten of the dogs go away. Like um that dog that ate the dog whistle that had every single dog just run away and um and the funniest thing that happened and it's kind of uh, ironic and deserving overall is that um the money they made, however much money it was from the beginning, sitting around here pretty much had to use all that money to find the dogs back. You know, buying organic bologna that um one of the dogs ate. Paying for loose uh, or loose dogs without chains, fines, and uh, another one that was pretty funny that um when Alalo was lost, they went back um to Ronnie's uh apartment complex and um uh you know uh Ronnie was charged uh, ten dollars for um looking for a dog that was literally like right there, which is pretty funny overall. Just um. It's just, uh, it's, you know, it's one of those episodes you feel bad for the characters, but they kind of have it coming. And it's an episode, you know, the characters go through a learning process overall. So, um, uh, those are my thoughts episode. What did you think? Definitely. As you said, this episode is definitely one that has an obvious lesson, but it, it's, it's told in a funny way. Like, you know, don't. Don't try to rush into things. Don't try to take the easy way out. It may look easy to walk every single dog you find in order to get as much money as possible, but you're going to learn the hard way that dealing with too many dogs is going to be very difficult. And the funny thing is they highlighted the fact that 
every dog is different. And as someone who has owned many dogs over the years and still does, and who has met many dogs and loves dogs in general, I can definitely say that is the case. And that was one of the highlights of this episode, though, just seeing all these different kinds of dogs and how they uh, how they looked and how they acted and the fact that they were so different and the, the fact that, oh, you know, this dog likes to chase squirrels or this dog thinks he's a cat and how all of that, they remember that in order to find the most likely place that they were going to hide. And as you mentioned, Carl was definitely a highlight of this episode. I I love how we're seeing all these different facets of Carl, and he's definitely becoming one of the breakout characters of the show because uh, uh, definitely thinks acts older than he actually is. Uh, Alex Zaris wrote in her official biography for an appearance that she's going to uh, do somewhere. She said something like, I've always a character named Carl who is eight going on 30 and thinks he's a savvy businessman. And this is definitely, we definitely saw an example of that there. Uh, the scene where uh, uh, Ronnie, as you mentioned, Ronnie Ann pays Carl $10 to find law. He's literally just inside the building was definitely one of the funniest bits of the show and uh, episode. And one of the things I loved most about this episode was it was a very good example of how the show can be very silly and slapsticky, but also, you know, feel real in a way. And the Loud House has done that as well. Uh, They've done stories that are based on real life, but are very exaggerated in comic strip slapsticky, which is no surprise because it's based on a comic strip uh, visually. And that was one of the things I loved about it. It was very, there were a lot of very funny visual gags. There were a funny sight gags and one of the things i love the most was that they're definitely going all out with the comic strip visual aesthetic like uh, the loud house has been kind of inconsistent with that which is one of the few complaints i've had about the show basically the only things that they've done which i love and which the casa grandes is doing too is that whenever uh anyone full screen will paint up with draw it the same way Charles which I draw paint stars the same way and of course the fight clouds which are one of my favorite running gags but I love the fact that they just went all out in this particular episode with all of the uh, comic strip based uh, visuals like whenever Ronnie Ann was handed uh, handed a stack of money little dollars popped out of it and then later on in the episode where she had give the money back there was like a red dollar sign with a minus in front of it and uh when she falls off her skateboard we actually see a little speech bubble that says crash and what the the thing i really loved uh they uh and i think we're going to see this in more episodes because i saw in a promo uh the same thing happening to bobby when he feels woozy uh when ronnie ann Sid get dizzy and they have these little scene stars uh, graphics over their head which I thought was very uh, very fun to see visually I like the fact that they're going strip visuals and I'll try not to make this too long but I thought it was interesting Uh, as an interesting aside uh, something I've always wanted to bring up is it's very interesting regarding how the Loud House uh, creates 
its own sound effects uh, landscape. You know, one of the things about what should it look like but also how should it sound like a couple of years ago there was a great interview with the sound editor show and i forget what his name is but i'll have to find that interview it's really interesting and the amazing thing is that he said you know all of the classic sound effects most of the cartoons use all of the looney tunes and hanna-barbera uh if they're you in my opinion i think if they're there they can be done very well and uh, you know because they're so accessible and I kind of like think in those type of sound effects when I play little cartoons in my head I've used them in personal projects but I think the amazing thing is that they decided to go a different and basically create their own sound effects library from scratch but still kind of play on these sim- uh, on these you know shorthands of what cartoon actions are supposed to sound like they said basically we were trying to recreate nostalgia all of these things that you hear in cartoons what like because in a typical cartoon if someone gets dizzy and then they shake their head and come to what you're going to hear is like (laughs) but instead uh in the loud Grande, uh, when someone gets dizzy and they see sharp stars, it's more, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's more like a, a, a like a, a child's mobile almost, and then a rattling sound, which is kind of interesting, because it's definitely taking the same aspect. What does this sound like? Someone being dizzy and then coming to, and they basically put their own spin on it, but it's something you don't really think about. But it works. And the other interesting thing regarding sound effects, and then I'll go off on this tangent, is one of the things that the sound editor also said is just for the heck of it, he decided to put his own spin on the old gag of random animal cat yelling when somebody falls off screen. On the loud house, it's always a cow mooing instead of a cat because they just thought it was funny. And one of the things I've known here is that when it happens on the Casa Grande, it seems to be a different animal each time, so I'm guessing that's just a little in-joke. Uh, Carlo uh, falls off screen uh, in Going Overboard and we hear chicken, and uh, in uh, Croaked, uh, it's actually Carlos falling off screen again, and we hear a sheep. So, it's kind of interesting how they're doing this mixture of aesthetic, both with the vid slapsticky visuals, and also creating library sound effects, which I think is really amazing. hmm Yeah, I mean, uh, not much I can really add on to that. Um, you really, um, what a great description about the episode and uh, aesthetics overall. So, why don't we move on to the most recent um, Costa Grande episode from last Saturday. Ryan, why don't you give uh, the description if you're up for it? Okay, this episode was called New Aunt. And this one opens with uh, Sid and Ronnie Ann on Subway, and they're very excited because they've been introduced, uh, they've been invited to a 6th graders Halloween party, but uh, Ronnie Ann is also disappointed because it means that she's going to miss her family's tradition where they make the Mercado look spooky, and Bobby leads the whole family in a vampire day. 
Bates. And Bobby, while Bobby is setting up with that with uh, Carl and CJ, he basically gives Ronnie Ann your per- his uh, his permission to forego it this time because he's she, he's like, you know, this is your first Halloween and this is something you've never done before, so I think you should be able to do this. So Ronnie Ann and Sid go to this party. And much to their disappointment, it is not a costume party. It is not a Halloween party. It is just a party. It's like a very hip, trendy, older kid party. And there's really nothing Halloween-themed to do there, which is which they're really bummed out by. So they just decide to... They just decide to wing it and act like, oh, you know, it's cool to wear costumes. As Sid puts it, oh, these costumes are all the rage... These- well, the fashion trend in France right now, but because the costumes are so wieldy, they end up, you know, spilling everything and getting it messed, and it doesn't work out. So they decide to throw in costumes and look for someplace else to hang out on Halloween. So they decide to go down to the skate park, and it turns out that at the skate park, it is a costume party, so they decide to... Uh, take their old costumes out of the trash, but, you know, the smell is so... the smell is so overwhelming that it doesn't really work that well, so they decided to say, oh, you know, we're going as mimes here, but it turns out that the skate park not, is not only banning anyone who's not in costume, they're also banning anyone who's dressed as mime. So, very dejected, they decide to go back to the Mercado, and they realize that joining in Bobby's fun with the Mercado is something that sh- that uh, they should have done all along. And um, Bobby says, well, the haunted Mercado is... We can still do the vampire dance together, and the episode ends with them doing that, and everyone around the city being impressed by it. This was, this was a very cute episode, because, again, it's another Ronnie Ann and Sid episode. It's the kind of thing that I could see Lincoln and Clyde doing as well. I think it's very cute, the, the idea of holiday traditions, even though how unusual they may be. They're your traditions, so doing something else might seem wrong, and perhaps it is wrong because it turns out even if you think you know, you're trying to impress a queen, kid it's not as fun as doing something that you've always done every year with your family and there was a lot to like about this episode um one of the highlights to me was we got to see uh sid's dad for the first time uh ken jong is the voice uh he's a subway can he only had one scene in this episode but like a lot of nicktoon dads lynn senior included he ended up stealing the show because it was just the right mix of overly excited, but also really dejected. The way he's like, you know, I wanted to wear a costume this year, but they wouldn't let me because they said I wouldn't be able to drive the train with it. And I see why not, because I can still use my hands when top costume. And Sid is like, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be driving the train? And he's like, oh, 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 right, sorry. That was pretty funny. And then it was also very funny and cute seeing Carl and CJ get ready for the Haunted Mercado and trying to do the vampire dance and CJ, uh, CJ ain't seen it and not being able to. Again, 
just an interesting character with uh, so many uh, funny aspects and such. And before I wanted to go go on to your thoughts about the episode, I wanted to point out uh, three interesting little Easter eggs and references that were brought up by both Mikel Puga and Lalo Alcaraz, which I thought would be fun to share. Uh, the first one is one of the tombstones uh, outside of the Haunted Mercado that Bobby up reads R.I.P. Puga Gonzalez, which is a shout out to the two guys named Miguel on the show. One of them is Miguel Puga himself, of course, and the other is one of the uh, prop designers, uh, uh, Miguel Gonzalez. Uh, another interesting one is one of the kids at the skate park is dressed as a uh, in a red costume with a yellow heart and antenna. This is a reference to El Chapulín Colorado, or the Red Grasshopper, who is one of the most famous Mexican TV comedy characters of all time. Uh, he was played by an actor named Chesperito, who is one of the most famous Mexican TV comedians in history. And for those of you who may not be familiar with, you may be familiar with Bumblebee Man. That was the inspiration for that character. And the other one is the vampire dance at the end. The dance itself, of course, the music and the way it's set up is a reference to Michael Jackson's thriller video, but the opening where Bobby vampires to the dance floor in a robotic voice is a reference to the opening of a song called Freakazoid by Midnight Star, which opens with a robotic voice saying, Freakazoid Robot. Please report to the dance floor. And that's all I... Those are those little tidbits that I thought I would share with my listeners because I hope you guys think it's as cool as I do. So what do you have to say about this episode? So um, something else pretty interesting is that um, the whole allure of being um, a younger kid and uh, you know going to um, an older person's party and then just realizing that... Um, all the hype was really worth it, and maybe the best moments are really um, felt with um, the people you know the most, your family, the, per the thing that you think is the most cringe. I mean, it's just another uh, great way, you know, to show that family bond of the show overall. And it's great to see uh, this show get their own um, Halloween-specific episode. You know, that's um, that's something the Lighthouse has um, a, ver a wide variety of, and um, these are the kind of episodes, you know, you can play... Um, every year during the October season, and it turns out this episode was pretty damn good overall. And um, another thing that was pretty great about the episode overall is that um, seeing all the new uh, people, I mean, Gloria Shen, uh, if I'm saying that correctly, Mike Nordstrom and Chelsea Holt, um, just names that I'm not familiar with, and um, seeing them get their own uh, debuts or first um, few episodes on the uh, Casa Grandes is uh, pretty great overall. Uh, probably the best episode of the first three of the Costa Grandes overall. And uh, guys, that's all for this episode of Live Crowd Podcast. Thank you, Ryan, for coming on. Any last thoughts? Yes. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out is uh, the writer you mentioned, Gloria Shen. I just wanted to point out a little bit of her pedigrees. Uh, she actually wrote uh, three episodes of The Loud House. Uh, one of them was uh, Back in Black. Another one was Out of the Picture. And I, I forget what the third one was, but she has a history with the show. But it's interesting that after writing a couple of Loud House and Casa Grande's episodes, she has moved over to a show on Disney called Amphibia, which oh. I think you are familiar with yeah. and are of, and 
I think many of our listeners are as well. So it's really cool to see these people jumping back and forth for all these successful um, uh, cartoons, and it's very interesting. Easily, they're able to adapt to each different style. Um, I just wanted to point out one more fact before I go that I think is really interesting. I just want to do a little bit of a, a news roundup, if, if you're okay with that. Go for it. Okay. Well, one interesting thing I wanted to point out is that there was a lot of promotion being done uh, for the Casa Grandes, and one of the things that has been confirmed multiple times on the panels and also on one of the uh, uh, a comment someone uh the official Instagram page left on someone asking regarding is that uh, the Loud House universe will eventually make its way onto the Grandes in some form, especially involving Lincoln, as we know. And Miguel Puga actually posted today on his Instagram story a, a picture of himself in the mixing session of an upcoming episode, and we see both Ronnie and Anne screen. It's confirmed in a future episode days, Lincoln Loud will make a camp guest appearance and interact with Ronnie Ann in some way, shape, or form, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to be excited about. And the other quick interesting thing I wanted to point out is the fact that uh, earlier this month at the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota, there was a very interesting event that done they were showing the uh halloween episode this year's halloween episode of the loud house episode of the grandes at the nickelodeon universe theme park in uh at the mall of america and they had some special guests uh jill voice of rita and jessica DeChicho, the voice of lynn senior and lucy were there they were signing graphs and being interviewed about the pro and they also had two of the storyboard artists and directors from the show, uh, Jessica Barutsky and Colton Davis, who were drawing pictures of the characters for the young fans who were coming out. And perhaps most interesting of all, there was also a Lincoln Loud walk-around character who was there greeting the fans. So yes, Lincoln Loud now has his own official character, which I think... Other than a Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade balloon, which Lincoln doesn't have yet, SpongeBob and Blue the Dog, this year, is perhaps the biggest honor you can have as a cartoon character, which I think is pretty cool. I have no idea if he's an addition if, or if he's going to be a special guest. And the other thing I don't know, and I hope we'll have an answer, whether or not uh, Lincoln or but the Lincoln character will be making whether or not the Lincoln character will be making appearances at the second Nickelodeon universe that opened this very day as recording this at the brand new American Dream Mall in my home state, New Jersey, East Rutherford, next to MetLife Stadium. But uh, there were some photos and videos that were being done, and it's very interesting. The mix of shows represented is different for all of America, and there are a lot of classic and uh, uh, even obscure shows, uh, Ren and Stimpy, Invader Zim, Legends of the Hidden Temple, they all have rides and things. Uh, the Loud House does not have a ride, but one of the things I did see in a video walk uh, walkthrough of the new mall is that there is a photo op of a picture of the Loud House that you can have your photo taken 
front of, and both the entire Loud family and Grandes are there. So if you happen to be in the New Jersey area, um, maybe check it out. Maybe not yet, because apparently there were a lot of problems on the open day, and the whole mall is going to be uh, there through March. But Lincoln is out there, and he's appearances in Minnesota, and represented in New Jersey. So it's amazing how well the show is doing and how it's being represented in a licensed branding like this. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty incredible. You know, there's a whole show of merchandise, um, Lincoln joining, uh, Costa Grande's for a cameo. Um, thank you for adding that. Uh, that's going to be a pretty fun segment to uh, do going forward. Uh, news roundup, uh, Ryan, thank you for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you so much for um, making me your co-host. I really enjoy it, and I hope that everyone listening enjoys it as much as I do. And if instead you find me annoying, either don't say it at all and or just tell me to my face. But don't expect a change because I don't plan on shutting up anytime soon. That is right. Thank you guys for listening. And remember to stay loud, and we'll see you guys next time.